0: Well, good morning. Welcome. My name is Bran. I'm one of the pastors here at River City. If you are new or visiting, just want to say welcome. It is good to have you this morning. Uh, we are so excited that you would be here and worship with us. Uh, this fall, we have been um, studying the book of Genesis together, but uh, this morning we're taking a little detour out of Genesis. Um, last, Just a bunch of things changed this week. As you see, I'm doing like double, triple duty this week, and it's kind of a full week around here, um, We'll get back to Genesis and our study in Genesis last next week. We, like I said, we have been in the book of Genesis throughout the course of the whole fall. Um, so we're going to wrap up the book of Genesis in just a few weeks, and then we're going to head into a season of Advent just beginning. We're actually going to be uh, studying the book of Matthew basically all of next year. We're going to be in the book of Matthew together. And so Matthew begins where Genesis 11 uh, kind of leaves off. And so we uh, will kind of catch this story in the coming of the King and Jesus coming. So excited about that. But this morning we're taking just a little detour. And just a heads up before we dive in this morning. Um, this is going to be more of like a devotional thought this morning than like a full-fledged sermon. <laughs> uh, I tried to take some time off this week to be with my family for Thanksgiving. And it was just kind of a pile of crazy over the course of this past week. And so um, yeah, what I wanted to do this morning is just take some time... Just, to, just as we think about what it, what it means to be thankful and what it is that we have the most to be thankful for. And so, um, just as I thought about that in light of Thanksgiving this week. So, I, I don't know about you, but I, I really love Thanksgiving. It's one of my favorite holidays. Mostly because, for me, Thanksgiving kind of ushers in what I kind of refer to as gravy season. So where all the foods that you eat are like they go great with gravy. That kind of starts right around Thanksgiving, right? And uh, I love turkey. I love mashed potatoes. I love stuffing. I love those things because they go great with gravy, right? And Thanksgiving, I have uh, one plate that is full of all the things that go great with gravy and a very small auxiliary plate for all the things that are worth eating that don't go good with gravy, which is like pie, Cranberry sauce is also on that plate, but that's about it, right? Because everything else goes great with gravy, or is not really worth eating, right? The Bible says that all good gifts from God, so gravy was absolutely His idea. In fact, I think it's probably one of God's most greatest culinary gifts to mankind. Oh, it's so good, right? But I will never forget uh, Thanksgiving a few years back at my wife's in-laws or at my in-laws' house or actually part of their extended family. I uh, filled up my gravy plate with all the things that are good that gravy makes great like mashed potatoes and stuffing and all that kind of stuff. I had filled it up and and I and I got to the end of the table and I couldn't find the gravy and so I took another loop back around the table and I was like it's got to be here. It's like it, it has to be here. It wasn't on the table so I was like okay. Alright. <laughs> breathe. <laughs> just breathe. Let's go let, we'll, I'll go talk to Hannah's aunt. She's the one who was hosting right? and I was like I just I probably missed it but just, where's, is there gravy? And I heard probably like the four most horrifying words I have ever heard at a meal of all time. There is no gravy. It, it was definitely the saddest Thanksgiving in the history of Thanksgivings. In fact, I was kind of just ate my Thanksgiving meal just like with sadly, have you ever had mashed potatoes without gravy? What is the point of that? It's just sadness in a spoon. You're just like, this really needs, it really needs gravy, right? The following month, thankfully, I got redemption, right? At Christmas, I have never been so happy to see that that gravy boat just lovingly placed on the dinner table, right? You see, I I didn't realize how thankful I was for gravy until until I was reminded of what Thanksgiving dinner is like without gravy. It is terrible. Like, what is the point of having Thanksgiving without gravy? At least that's for me. I'm not trying to put that on anybody. It's my own issue. I realize that. I'm working through it, okay? Right? I didn't realize how thankful I was for that. And I think, see, what often happens is we don't understand how thankful we should be for something until we're reminded of what life is like without it. Earlier this year, we studied the book of Colossians, and throughout the, the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul keeps reminding these, the Colossian believers about how amazing Jesus is and how all that he has done for them and who they now are in him. And he just keeps over and over and over and over talking about Jesus and how good he is and all that he has done. And one of the main ways that Paul reminds these Colossian believers about who Jesus is and all that he has done, one of the main avenues, one of the main ways that he does that is is by reminding them what life is like without Jesus. By reminding them who they are without his intervening work in their hearts in their lives about who they are without jesus about who they are without the gospel you see because it's only when we see what we need saving from that the kind of thankfulness that paul calls us to respond to throughout the book of colossians is is even possible and so with that in mind i just want to pray and we'll just dive in briefly i just want to show you three things out of the book of colossians about thankfulness and how that's connected with the gospel and how that changes our hearts and lives and we'll go from there so let me pray jesus uh, God, we just come and we are thankful for you. Yeah, God, we, for some of us, like that is on a head level. And for some of us, it's on a heart level. And for some of us, like even myself this morning, it feels like it's just like in the midst of that, those two things. God, and we just, we want to be a people who is full of thankfulness. God, who are overflowing with thankfulness, not for what we have, but for who we have. God, and so we come uh, needing your word, needing you to be the one that speaks in and through us this morning. God, I come needing you to speak through me this morning so that our time would be worthwhile as we even look at your word. God, I don't have anything to say that is worth saying that you haven't already said. And so, God, I ask that just by your strength you might fill me with your spirit so that our time would be good. Jesus. We need you to be the one that shapes and molds our hearts, and so we come, we come asking that you would do that this morning, God, for our good, but, but more than anything, God, we pray this for your glory. In your good name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, throughout the book of Colossians, Paul's, Paul tells us that... It's a thankfulness for the gospel that motivates and empowers our lives lived for God and his glory. Paul spends the first half of the book of Colossians telling us about who Jesus is and and all that he has done and who we now are because of him. And then the second half of the book, Paul spends telling us what our lives should look like in light of those truths. He kind of splits it up between the imperatives of the gospel, what is true, and the indicatives of the gospel, which is what, how you live in light of it, what changes because of it. And so throughout the book, Paul connects thankfulness in, as a response to the gospel that changes everything. And so there's three things that I want to just highlight briefly from, from Colossians and this connection between the gospel and thankfulness. And First, the Colossians just shows us what we have to be thankful for. It shows us what thankfulness looks like. And lastly, it shows us how to cultivate a heart of thankfulness. So those three things we're just going to briefly talk about this morning. So what do we have to be thankful for? Throughout his letter to this young church, Paul reminds us of the fact that of, of what we are Christians that we have to be thankful for. And it's all about this contrast between who we were and who we now are in Christ. Three passages that really stick out. Beginning in chapter 1, verses 12 to 14, Paul writes giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his. People in the kingdom of life, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Chapter one goes on in verse 22. He says, for once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now God, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Chapter 2 goes on in verse 13. He says, For when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Do you see the contrast that Paul is painting to these young believers? You were, but now you are. You were, but now you are. You were, but now you are. You see, Paul says in chapter 1, You were unqualified to be God's people, but in Christ God has made us his people. We were in slavery to sin, captive in the dominion of darkness, but now God has rescued us through Christ. We were condemned as rebels of the king, but now we've been given the status of dearly loved sons and daughters. Chapter 1, verses 21 and 2 goes on and says that we were alienated enemies of God, that we were mutinous rebels. We have rejected God's good rule and God's good authority, and we have replaced our rule and our authority in place of his But in Christ we have been forgiven and we have been reconciled. There is no more condemnation and no more accusation. Chapter 2, verses 13 and 14 continues We were dead in sin. But in Christ we are now alive. We were in an insurmountable amount of debt. The passage goes on. Oh, but Jesus. But Jesus. But Christ has made you alive. I see, without Jesus, we are condemned, indebted, dead, alien enemies of God. That's what the Bible says. Without Jesus, we are condemned, indebted, dead, alien enemies of God. That is the picture that the Bible paints of who we are without Jesus. We are justly under God's wrath for our sin and for our opposition of God. But over and over and over and over throughout Colossians, there is a but. But God. But for faith in Christ. You see, because Paul says we were condemned, indebted, dead, alien enemies of God. But now through faith in Christ, we are dearly loved, forgiven children of God. That contrast is incredible. Like that is, the, that is the, the widest ends of the spectrum. We go from being enemies of God who are rebellious haters of God to being his adopted and loved and forgiven and dearly cherished children. There, there cannot be a bigger transformation possible. And so what Paul is telling us is that that's what we have to be thankful for. What we have to be thankful for is not all of the blessings that God gives us. Yes, we should be thankful for those things. But the thing, of which is the thing that we have to be ultimately thankful for is who we were versus who we now are in Jesus. And what Paul tells us throughout Colossians is that our response to that truth should be thankfulness. Chapter 3, verse 1, he writes, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above and put to death what is earthly in you. Chapter 3, 17 says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Chapter 2, verse 6, writes that our lives should be overflowing with thankfulness. And so the question is, what, what does thankfulness look like? What, what does thankfulness look like? If thankfulness should be our response to the gospel and who God has made us to be in the contrast of who we were versus who we are? What is thankfulness and what should it look like? And I just want to say simply this morning, thankfulness for the gospel looks like becoming who God has said we already are. Thankfulness for the gospel looks like becoming who God has said we already are. You see, we were dead alien enemies of God. You see, and the truth is we still live like that. (laughs) We still live like that sometimes. We still live as rebels to God and as rejecting his authority in our lives. And we still choose sin over him. You see, we still live like we are dead alien enemies of God sometimes. You see, and what thankfulness for the gospel is, is not trying to become something, but is actively growing into the identity of God that God has already given to us. You see, God says you were and now you are. And thankfulness looks like us actively living in line with who God has made us to be. With who he says that we are. You see, thankfulness isn't just words. It it can never be just words. You've all experienced that, right? When someone tells you they are thankful for something you have said or done, but their actions really reveal that they don't care at all. My dad gave me a when we moved to town, my dad gave me a lawn tractor. It's not this hyper-fancy special thing, right? But it was a really generous gift. And for me, thankfulness doesn't just look like me telling my dad, hey, thanks for giving me that gift. It looks like me actively learning how to use it, and it looks like me caring for that, and it looks like me taking good care of the thing that he has given me not because he's going to take it back from me if I don't do that, but because I want to love my dad and I want to honor him and what I want to do is show him how thankful I am for the generosity that he has shown me. You see, that's what our lives look like as we respond to the gospel. If our lives don't look any different in response to who Jesus has made us to be, what we're doing is we're just spitting in Jesus' face. What we're saying is, even though the cross was incredibly costly, Even though it costs you everything, Jesus, even though you laid down your life on my behalf for me, because it's not really worth me changing. It's not really worth my life looking any different. And we would never say that out loud, we'd never think that actively. But that's what our actions are revealing. You see, thankfulness looks like us increasingly submitting to the lordship of Jesus. It looks like us increasingly embodying his character and his attributes. All of chapter three of Colossians, right? Paul is telling us to put on the attitudes and the attitudes of Christ. You see, it's thankfulness for who we are that motivates our lives. You see, it's thankfulness for who we are in contrast to who we once were, that causes us out of love and out of joy and out of gratitude to give our lives back to the Lord, to strive for obedience and to strive to pursue godliness, not out of fear and not out of duty and not out of obligation and not out of like just like just toughing it out, but because we are full of gratitude. You see, because we were dead aliens enemies of God. And because of Jesus, we are his dearly loved children, who he cherishes and who he enjoys and who he is so pleased with. That shouldn't be true of us. That shouldn't be how God sees us. There is nothing about us that has earned that or has deserved that or has merited that in any way. There is nothing about us that, that that kind of owes that to us. That shouldn't be how God sees us. But it is if our faith is put in the person and the work of Jesus. So maybe you are thinking this morning, I know that. Like, I agree with you. I know that. I know that. The gospel is amazing, and I know that what Jesus did is like radically changed who I was, and I know that I sh- I know that, that should be changing me, but it isn't. Like, it's, it's a head-level thing for me. It's not a heart-level thing for me. I think Colossians 3.15, it tells us what to do in, in that case, because in Colossians 3, what it's doing is telling us how to cultivate in our hearts a thankfulness for the gospel. Colossians 3.15 writes this, it says, Paul, he says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God in gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You see, Colossians 3 is telling us how we cultivate thankfulness for the gospel in our hearts. I think there's three things that stick out to me from there. Paul says that we need to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. We need to let the message of Christ dwell richly with us. And we need to tell others about those things. You see, when it when Paul says let the message of Christ dwell richly as you admonish one another, right? What Paul is saying is not just don't let just the good news about who Jesus is and all that he's done dwell richly among you. You see, the message of Jesus is not only that that we are God's beloved children but it is also that we used to be God's we used to be enemies of God you see and if we never if we only remember the good things about who Jesus has made us to be and we always gloss over or we forget who we were without Jesus that is like a recipe for our hearts of getting really unimpressed by all that Jesus did you see but when the message of Christ dwells richly in our hearts when the bad news is in contrast with the good news. When we regularly remember our sin, remember who we are without Jesus, and yet at the same time remember who we now are because of Jesus, what happens when we do that over and over and again and again, what happens is what wells up in our hearts is a gratitude and a thankfulness for the gospel. You see, and Paul says, let that message dwell with you. He doesn't say, talk about it once a year at Easter. He says, let the message of Christ dwell with you. Let the gospel be the thing that saturates your lives, that saturates your hearts. Let the bad news about who you are without Jesus and the good news about who you are with him, let that, let that constantly be before you. Let it be the thing that you meditate on. Let it be the thing that, that comes up often. I don't know if you realize this or not, every week if you come here to River City, we are always going to get to Jesus. We will always get to him. Because what our hearts so desperately need is for the message of Jesus to dwell richly with us. You see, what we we don't need to just remember the message of Jesus. Paul says we need to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. You see, without Jesus, we are enemies of God. But Jesus had made peace with God for us. You see, and when the peace of God dwells richly in our hearts, what happens is that we know that there is nothing that we could do to earn our status or our standing with God, and there is nothing that we could do to mess it up, and we mess it up all the time. (laughs) Like, if that was on us to mess up, we would be totally, we would just be totally, we would have no hope. But Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. He says, let the status and the standing that you have with God the peace that you have with God through Jesus, let that rule in your heart. You see what happens when the message of the gospel dwells with you richly, then the peace of the gospel will dwell with you richly. What that allows you to do is allows you to relate to God not out of fear, not out of duty, not out of obligation, but out of love and joy and gratitude. You see, without the peace of Christ securing our standing with God, God can only be a boss. He can only be someone whose favor you are desperately trying to earn and you are worried about losing, whose, that is based on what you bring to the table and how good your performance is. But if the peace of Christ dwells richly with us, oh, then God gets to be a father to you. Then he gets to be a good father who loves you dearly. And who when you sin and when you mistake and when you run from him, A good father who is waiting for you to come back to him. Whose arms are always open to you. The last thing that Paul tells us is, is not just that the peace of Christ should rule in our hearts. And not just that the message of Christ should rule among us. What he says is that we need to use those things to admonish and teach one another. He says you need to tell each other about that stuff. That's, that's how you cultivate a thankfulness in your heart for the gospel, is by telling people about it. Paul says, admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs in the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Jeff Vanderstelt in his book, Gospel Fluency, he writes, you talk about what you love, and he says, and you love what you begin to talk about. You see, for some of us, our love for Jesus and our thankfulness for the gospel has run dry because we just never talk about it. We just assume those truths. What God's Word is so abundantly clear about is that the good news about who Jesus is, that can never be something that gets assumed. Our hearts will grow cold and dead, you see. In the book of Revelations... Jesus comes to the Apostle John, and, and he has a message for John, and he has a message for seven churches. One of the churches that he writes to is the church in Ephesus, and what, what Jesus' message is for this church in Ephesus, he writes, he says, he says I'm so proud of that you. Have, You've have believed what is true, and you have held to the faith, and in the midst of all these crazy doctrines, you, you, you kept to what was true. And he says, but I have this against you. You have lost your first love. He says, return to your first love or I will snuff out your candle. What Jesus is telling to this young church, he says, it's not enough to just believe what is right. He says, you have to love the one who is right. You see, it's our love for Jesus that changes our lives. It's not just what we, what we have a theological or a mental assent to in our agreement to. No, it's a love for him that changes who we are. And so Paul says we must tell each other about him. And he said that happens, looks like with other Christians, right? With psalms and hymns and songs, right? We do that at church when we gather together. And that's why, when we, that's why we sing together. The songs that we sing, we are careful about what we sing here at River City Church. Because what we want to sing about is Jesus and who he is and all that he has done and what he has accomplished in and for us. But I'll just tell you this, it's not enough to just tell people who know Jesus already about who he is. It's just not enough. Paul calls us throughout the book of Colossians, not just to remind one another about who Jesus is and all that he's done and who we now are in him, but to proclaim him to those who don't know him yet. Over and over and over in my own life what I have found to be just unceasingly true is that when I tell my friends who don't know about Jesus, when I tell them about him, my love for him grows. My gratitude for all that he has done, it like overflows out of my heart. You see, talking about Jesus causes us to love him more because our hearts we, we talk about the things that we love, but we also come to love things by talking about them all the time. And the more that we talk about Jesus, and the more that we celebrate who he is, and the more that we proclaim him, the more that our gratitude for him will grow, the more that our thankfulness in response to all that he has done will grow. Because one of the best parts about telling people about Jesus is you get to tell it out loud to yourself again. And the gospel is such good news, whether it's the first time or the five millionth time. See, and that's why we take communion together every week. See, because communion is about us reminding each other about the gospel. It's about remembering who Jesus is and who we were without him and who we now are because of him. You see, with the bread we celebrate that Jesus' body was broken for us as he lived the life that we should have lived. And we celebrate with the drink that his blood was shed for us as he died the death that we should have died. And what we're doing as we take communion every week is we're remembering and we're celebrating the gospel and we are rejoicing in who Jesus is and who he has made us to be in him By faith, we lay hold of God's unmerited and all-sufficient grace, and we're reminded of those truths when we take communion together. You see, you need to hear this. Communion, it does not make you right with God. Taking communion does not change your status or your standing with Him. It does not cause God to see you differently in any way. Communion Communion is not for God. Communion is for us that we might remember who He is. That we in our hearts might celebrate him. You see, because what God knows to be true is that our hearts forget all the time. What we need is to remember to remember all that he has done for us and who he has made us to be. Every church does communion a little bit differently. At River City, during our time of musical worship at the end here, you can go back and and take communion. You do that. There's a table on the left and on the right in the back, and you go and you dip the bread in the juice, and that's how it's done here. Nobody's going to dismiss you. You just go whenever you feel led. And as you do, I would just encourage you to talk with God this morning. Just tell him how thankful you are for the gospel or if your heart is in that in-between spot where you know that you should be thankful, but you're just not, ask him to cause the gospel to be beautiful to you. Ask him to cause the good news about who he is to well up in your heart. And so that you can take communion as a joyful celebration about who he is and who you now are in him. You see, Colossians is a reminder for us of all that we have to be thankful for. It's a reminder of what our thankfulness looks like, our lives given back to Jesus for his glory and for his purposes. And it's a reminder of how we cultivate thankfulness in our hearts every day. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful for you. God, we are thankful for who you are and who you have made us to be in you. God, and we are thankful for the bad news about who we are without you we're thankful that you are gracious to remind us about that fact. God, and you do that not so that we would think less of ourselves, but that we would think more of you. And so Jesus, we just long that by your grace and by your power our lives would would our lives would increasingly look like your son Jesus. God that our that our lives would be full of obedience to you, that our lives would be a response of thankfulness and gratitude for all that you've done for us. God, we pray that you would cultivate in us a heart of thankfulness for you and for the gospel. God, for our good, but most of all, we pray you do that for your glory so that you are seen and cherished and enjoyed among all people in all generations for all time. Now we pray these things in your good name, Amen.